these words again from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 24 through 32. You put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Precious words. You know, there is a very strange, very odd experience like no other that will ever come to us that takes place within our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit when we receive salvation through Christ and when we receive the presence of His Holy Spirit living within our being. In only one moment, miraculous things took place. That moment of our salvation, everything changed. We became, as these scriptures tell us, a whole new and different person. Not yet perfect, but with the actual and real possibility of becoming perfect. We pondered the meaning um, and the possibility of that perfection a few weeks back when we studied the words in verse 13. May I read those? Verse 13, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. As I studied through those words at that time, I found that well-meaning theologians wanted to quickly explain that such perfection does not mean sinless perfection, but rather it is a positional perfection that we obtain through Christ. Now, unfortunately, those words, positional perfection, are difficult for most of us to grasp. And we hear those words so few times that we never quite understand what they mean by them. And God knows that. And so here in these words that we just read, and over in Second Peter chapter 1 that we were studying during Sunday school class, in Philippians 2 and in many other places in the scriptures, in reality, it is more the response to our salvation that God has in mind in these words. That of our working out that which Christ worked in to our souls in salvation. And that's what we're experiencing as we read and as we work out these matters spoken about here. And while this perfection, this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ will not come easily and quickly to us, 
At least now, we can have confidence that in our new man, in our new woman, our new self, we actually do have the possibility of that grand experience ahead of us. Even during this mortal lifetime, above all, we must be dedicated to working together with God in his design plan and in his design schedule. He has graciously completed all of his part, the first part, the sufferings of Christ. His death and our receiving of the Spirit made all those changes that we would need to begin again in our new birth and to begin all those many practical changes that must take place within us that he speaks about here as we're being transformed into this image of Christ that he wants us to be transformed into, that new man, that new person with true righteousness and holiness to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, his actual image. And as we've been saying over and over again, the transformation does not come easily. I spent some time with a dear saint this week, and she uh, has been praying for this one person for some time now. And she has said things to this particular person and she is being discouraged by the length of time that it's taking for changes to be made. And I was sharing with her that messengers are exactly that. We are messengers of God, giving his word. Messengers are not usually required to wait and watch and evaluate the effects of the message. And so this word, transformation, came to my mind over and over again. What God is doing in the life of that other person and in her is a transformation. You and I cannot simply give words from these scriptures to a person and expect them to have an immediate change. There is a, it's a transformation, and God makes that well known to us. And sometimes it takes a while. I thought of the metaphor of a child that's born. They have only the barest essentials of life within them. They still need so much more to be formed both within them physically, but also within their minds before they're ever fully developed into the mature adult that God has designed them to be. It's going to take a while. And so it is with you and me and these others that we pray for. It is a transformation for each of us to arrive at that new condition that God has planned for us. There's still so much to be done. And it takes time. And what these words are telling us is that to a great extent, it now depends on our response. We talked earlier about the word diligent. Diligence is a strong, strong effort, but it's also immediate, and it is persistent until that which is desired is accomplished. And that's what's taking place in this transformation. It is our personal surrender and our cooperation with God in this transformation process. In Galatians 4, God speaks of the life of Christ, the life of the Son of God being formed in us. And that's the essence 
of the plan that God has. His foremost desire for you and me is that the very nature of his beloved son would be formed within your and my heart and soul and mind and spirit. That his nature, listen, that his nature would become our nature. And that our mind and our mortal flesh would be conformed to all that the Lord Jesus was when he walked this earth. How do we know that? These scriptures tell us that very plainly. And again, all of this is a strange experience for us. We were made new in our salvation. We were changed when we were saved. But then strangely, and I confess I don't have a good understanding of why God has done it, but unfortunately he has left much of the old flesh to coexist with the new that he has made within us. He leaves this part within us called the flesh. And much of it is still corrupt. It has those old corrupt conditions that we brought into it. And often we are still connected, firmly connected to those old conditions, those old habits. By the way, sometimes we're actually addicted to them. And so we bring these connections and these addictions our old habits and our old languages and our old conduct and beliefs and philosophies. And they plague us all the days of our life that we're saved. I mentioned a moment ago that in my conversation with some old friends, I know that most of them are believers. And yet they were using language that they had before they were saved that they used probably prolifically before they were saved. And they brought that language with them into this conversation. It should not have happened. But it's the way it is, and that's what God is talking about here. It's these things, these habits, these conducts, these beliefs, these philosophies, that God is asking, and yea, he, even he is commanding that we rid ourselves of, that we put them off of who we are. We are no longer that person. And we are to put them off of who we are. We can. And we must. And God is saying to us, you are now a new creature. Yes, you have this dead flesh. But now you've been made alive. Listen to these words in Romans 8. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Folks, life in all of its many forms, both spiritual and mortal, is now not only possible for you and me, it's assured to us by the power and the presence of of the Holy Spirit and we learned again in our Sunday school class this morning in Second Peter that his divine nature has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And these scriptures are commanding that you and I get on about it. Listen to these words in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. This is the continual call that God has put within the heart and the soul of all men and women who have received Christ as Savior. You and I must immediately, diligently, get on about the nature of righteousness and holiness that he speaks about here at verse 24. You put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And now here, again, as we've been saying, God doesn't leave you and me to wonder or to make our own decisions about how we are to get about this and what we are to do next. Because right here in this passage, he gives us an important beginning point with a few admonishments to us. First, we studied last week in these verses, God gives us a warning that you and I need to put away our predisposition, our bent towards lying, towards telling lies. I would suggest that if I were to ask you, do you lie? Do you tell lies? Are you a liar? you would probably say yes, but would you really believe it? Would you really believe that you have a bent, a predisposition towards stretching the truth in many, many of the things that you say each day? May I warn you, you do have that predisposition. We all do. And that's why God has put this at right at the top of his list. I said last week that God ranks our telling of lies right at the top of the most loathsome sins that we can be involved in. And last week I gave an example of his disdain for liars from uh, Revelation chapter 21, there where he was dealing with eternal judgment. He said, listen, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Did you know that God ranked lie, those little white lies, those little stretches of the truth, right up there with the worst of the worst sins that we can involve ourselves in? Then next, he says here in verse 26 and 27, he warns us about the sin of anger. Are you an angry person? Now these verses 26 and 27, they can be considered separately, but they also can be considered together. And I want to do that because God wants to remind us that the devil himself is always involved in everything that we do. He is the father of lies. And then also, here in this verse, verse 26 and 27, listen. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Listen. Nor give place to the devil. Notice how closely connected those two verses are. Now, unfortunately, I have to admit to you that I probably am very well qualified to speak on this matter of fleshly anger. Because anger has often been a controlling influence within my own life and still can be if I even for a moment 
and when I even for a moment turn my face away from the Lord. Considering these first words here in verse 26, may I quickly say though that I personally do not have a clear understanding of the concept of how I can be angry but not sin. From these words I know that it's possible but I don't know that I have ever truly experienced that. I've heard many people talk about righteous anger and I have heard so many people, Christians, claiming that position. Oh, my anger was righteous. I've heard preachers preach about it. And I've heard theologians expound upon the conditions of, a, of righteous anger. But still, the possibility of my having experienced righteous anger, I believe, has eluded me. When I get angry, it seems always to be in a sinful manner or for a sinful purpose. So then, for me, I must still work with these very basics of the meaning and know that my fleshly anger will never work the will of the Lord. We're told that in James 1.19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And also, may we remember that anger, in all of its many fleshly forms, is a very controlling, very controlling kind of uh, influence on, on us. And as these words tell us, it comes from the devil. Now, sometimes anger is of the seething kind, that under the surface. At other times it bursts out into rage and becomes a consuming fire. But in both cases, whether seething or rage, it is still consuming and controlling and wrong, and it never works the will of God. And again, I'm, I'm experienced, well experienced at both of those. They've been a part of my life. But most of my anger, as I've thought through this and prayed through this, most of my form of anger is that seething kind, that, that continuous kind of brawling uh, beneath the surface, barely seen by others around me, but is continually present. Now maybe a lot of folks noticed it and just didn't say anything to me about it, but I don't know that that's so. I believe that it was such a part of who I was, an ordinary part of who I have been, and part of my personality, that they were maybe not aware that it was anger. They probably thought that it was just the way I am, that that's just Bill's personality. That's who he is. Isn't that an awful thought? That is wrong, and it is inexcusable for someone who has Christ living within them, as I do. And that's what God is saying to us here. He's saying to you and to me that we are now new and we are without excuse because we have everything that we need for life and godliness that is right inside of, of us already. All the underlying causes of that seething anger has been wiped away in my new birth, in your new birth, and we need to quit 
giving in to those old ways, into those old forms of anger. But also, whatever produces that anger, and often it's those old habits, those old philosophies, those old ideas, whatever it is, we have let it redevelop within us after we receive Christ, and it is growing. We don't know why. We don't know how it starts. It just comes to us slowly, and we accept it back as an old friend. Thankfully, after I received Christ, a light did begin to come on. It's taken a long time, but a light did begin to come on back in the recesses of, uh, of my spirit. And it's been slow, but I have been actually able to experience some of this transformation. I do find now that I am a lot less tempted to let the seething anger burst out into rage. And I am a little more patient than I was before. And it's not affecting my relationships as much as it used to. And so I'm so thankful to the Lord for His transformation that He has been bringing about in my life. I would encourage you to look at your response to the Lord in this matter of anger in particular. He wants you and I both to change. Romans 12 again, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is only your reasonable service. He said, listen, Bill, each one of you, it's time to change. And this is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a general guideline. Listen, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you, present your bodies, this fleshly part of who we are, these, this corrupt part of who we are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this world. You have the ability to walk away from sin. Romans chapter 6 is very clear. Romans chapter 7 and 8, very clear. You and I have the ability to walk away from sin because of the Holy Spirit living in us. He'll convict us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He'll tell us when this is wrong, what's going on in front of us is wrong, turn and walk away. Flee, as Joseph did from Potiphar's wife. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't say, well, I got caught up in it. I couldn't help it. I didn't want to offend my friend. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by renewing of your mind so that you know that it's wrong. How do you determine if it's right or wrong? It's these words. You have to spend time every day in these words of Scripture by renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. These things that God is talking to us about here, they are not only commands, they carry with them an expectation of you and me. God fully expects you and me to do exactly what he's saying here. We have no choices in this. God is saying to you and me that yes, he knows that we're bringing these difficulties into this relationship with him from our old life. And he's saying, I love you. Now start putting them away, getting rid of them. 
May I close with these words. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man, every woman, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Let's pray.